0: Wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Did you see one when you were there? Did you see any wild ones? I did ones? not see a uh,
1: capybara and that's more of a reason to get back there yeah. and make it happen, right?
0: What can they teach us? Basically, the DNA of a copy bear, uh, their genome, their immune system is able to detect cells that might become cancerous and destroy them before they become cancer. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Are we covering birds today? That's, that sounded Dogs. like a bird. Yeah. yeah. I,
1: definitely a lot of chirping noises. Yeah. And then, of course, a, a bark there at the end.
0: So a bird dog, man? <laughs> yeah, not quite. Not quite. But the largest rodent in the world. Yes. Those vocalizations uh-huh.
1: mm-hmm. would not make you think of a rodent mm-hmm. at all. In mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But in fact, it's a capybara, the iconic South American mammal. Oh, my goodness.
0: It is. It really is. It really is. And yeah, I, I know it's a fan favorite. We, we've had people request this. And and what really the genesis of, of picking this one was, I, as everybody knows, it's been listening the last few weeks. I just got back from Australia and we're at the Corumbin Wildlife Sanctuary and showing my kids all these wonderful Aussie animals. You know, look at all the, here, there's the cassowary and there's the emu, there's the kangaroos, here's the koalas. And my eldest is just sitting there on his phone, taking pictures and videos of the copy telling me how much he loves them. So I said, okay, buddy, this is for you, Rourke. So this is his episode that uh, he especially requested. But yeah, this, I can't believe it's actually taken us this long to get to him.
1: I know. Well, I want to thank Rourke from the bottom of my heart because I can say, I have worked with a lot of animals and have been blessed to know different personalities of barn owls, Mm -hmm. ball pythons, camels, all sorts of species of hostock. And I feel like I am missing out that I never worked with a copybara, that I never got to know one. Mm. I worked with a lot of rodents, species guinea pigs and Norway rats, and they all have personalities. And I loved being their caretaker at the zoo. But I never got to work with capybaras, and I just, after this week of watching video after video after video, mm-hmm. learning about them, looking at them, oh my goodness gracious, look, at I just, I, I'm i with Rourke. Yes. I, I'm in love, and I'm so glad to be talking all about capybaras this week, oh. and Someday I'm going to go back and be a capybara keeper, uh, maybe at the at the wildlife park you're talking about in Australia. I don't know where, but mm-hmm. it, it has mm-hmm. to happen. My I have to know a capybara in my life. Right. I don't want one as a pet, and we will talk about that yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that yeah. in the podcast for sure today. But I just I, I they are darling, and they are just they're like what are they? A water pig? A hippo? Yeah. A beaver without a yeah. tail? A pig without a snout i mean
0: <laughs> they're very unique they're very unique even their evolutionary history is a little bit unique so so we'll get there and we haven't done a rodent in a while do you remember the last one we did uh beaver yeah 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 once right. 161 it's been quite a while oh
1: my goodness yes it's- we are definitely do and actually, learning about the evolutionary history of capybaras, I mm. found some other rodents that I had never even heard of that I mm. want to cover on the podcast.
0: So. Well, I, I'll just a preview: forty-two percent of all mammals are are rodents. Like we'd never could be think our full-time
1: of that. job. Yes, it doesn't species. pay us. So we yeah. just have fun though all the time.
0: It, yeah, it's it's there's so many rodent species. So we definitely will cover more in the future. But the capybara, here we are, finally the largest rodent in the world. And before we get there, just a quick shout out to Andre. And by
1: large, you mean large, like very if, large. If, if people are not familiar with the capybara, then you're you'll be very surprised because large is like me.
0: Yeah, they're big. They're big, and, and yeah, there's so many fun facts about them. They're just they're incredible animals. But quick shout out, thank you, Andre. Join us on Patreon this week. It means a lot to us. It's helping us. A cup of coffee a month. You know, we're getting this message out. And like Angie always says, you never know who the next chain Goodall is. I hope she or he is listening and we're inspiring you to take action and possibly you know, dedicate your life to conserving these species. So thank you so much.
1: Yes. And you can always just subscribe, rate, and review All Creatures Podcasts on iTunes or any platforms that you may use. Uh, the reviews are very helpful. And Chris and I always take into consideration any species you want us to cover whether it's through a review or, of course, through one of our social media outlets. And we have a really interactive and fun All Creatures podcast group on Facebook. So if you search All Creatures group on Facebook, you should be able to find us and join us and get involved in the conversations that we're having each week.
0: For sure, for sure. But then just a quick reminder, we do are doing monthly lives. So Angie and I are doing one this week. So look for that for our Patreon subscribers. Check your emails. Uh, And we will be sending out Zoom links for you to join, where you can talk to us face-to-face and let us know what you want to hear. So you said large. Do you want to start with the sizes? I mean...
1: I think you have to, Chris.
0: Okay. So, (laughs) you know, they can be up to a meter and a half or 1.3 meters, which is about four, four and a half feet. So you're a little bit taller than that, but... They weigh up to 175, 200 pounds, 80 kilograms. I know you don't weigh that much.
1: I mean, maybe when I was pregnant, but, <laughs> yeah,
0: but I mean, I, mean, I had
1: really big boys and I'm very tall. So, you know,
0: yeah, but he yeah, has, yeah, yeah,
1: but he has big, right. Yeah, like on average, yeah. 145 and yeah, pounds. That's yeah, they're big. 77 kilograms
0: for a oh, ro sorry. a rodent, a rodent
1: for a rodent. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah.
0: And throw in there, they can stand almost up to two feet or 60 something centimeters at the withers. So two feet tall, over four feet long, 175 pound rat, rodent <laughs> coming at you. So very, very big, but very pretty. I mean, the little ones are just like, oh, so adorable.
1: Like I said, I got caught up in a lot of YouTube videos where I wasn't really getting any more information. And on them, I was just watching them move and interact. And the little ones, just they're darling. I mean, to give the description for listeners that aren't familiar with capybaras, their fur is usually a brown, reddish-brown color, and it covers the body. And it can turn a lighter brown or yellowish-brown on the belly. Some of them have a little bit of black on their face on their high points. And the capybara's face is just darling, too. They don't really have a really long rat-like snout. It's more a little bit blunted. But they definitely have a nose where you just want to poke at it and go
0: boop Mm -hmm, mm because it's
1: it's darling. Mm -hmm. And they have smaller black eyes and cute rounded ears which we'll talk a lot about their nose and their eyes and their ears and how it helps them out. And it's one of their adaptations for their semi-aquatic life because mm-hmm. these rodents spend a lot of time in the water. And we'll touch on that a lot during behavior. So they, they have a, almost a hippo face mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. Some, and, yep. in some convergent evolution type of way because everything, their nostrils and their eyes and their ears are all runs across the top of their face for when they are swimming and they need to come up and get air. But their body is just what does it for me. I I love a good, round, pudgy body. And the capybara definitely doesn't disappoint. It has a big barrel-shaped body, really sturdy. Mm -hmm. And it's tailless, too. Mm -hmm. So we typically think of rodents, if you think about a mouse or a rat, which, of course, the rodent family, as Chris mentioned, is very big. But the capybara falls into the category that has no tail. So they have a nice, rounded rump that's... Big and brown, and I just love watching them uh, run towards me and run away from me. They're super <laughs> cute. And their legs, just very unique. The front legs are a little bit shorter than the hind legs. And then they have these partially webbed feet that become very obvious when they're walking. You can see the webs in between them. And this, of course, these web feet also are very handy for their semi-aquatic life. Mm-hmm. So really just... I don't know. For me, Chris, it's the nose. Uh, I just. <laughs>
0: You've been talking hmm. about noses lately. Yeah. I with love calls, animal noses. Yeah. I know. It's so
1: funny. I uh, I taught Maddox with, uh, of course, our dog Rainbow mm. and Romeo the horse. I, he touches their noses and he goes, boop. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> it's cute. So cute. It is
0: cute. cute. He is cute.
1: And I want to, I mean, I know that I can't touch a capybara and I won't ever, mm. but like that would be a nose I would want to boop.
0: Yeah. Boop. <laughs> As they run into the water. Well. <laughs> yeah. Here's something you may not know. There's two species of capybara. I didn't know that. Yeah, they used to think it was a subspecies, but then genetics, and maybe in evolution, I'll touch upon it again. Uh, but the lesser capybara, man, it's about a third smaller than the, the, the normal regular capybara that we think of. Okay. Now, the, the lesser capybara is in a very small range in Colombia, parts of Panama, In Venezuela, but they're actually having a hard time finding them in Venezuela because they are hunted by people for food. So maybe not as many there, but there are small segments of them. The large copybara, the, the general copybara, massive range. I mean, all throughout the Amazon, Brazil, reaching down into Argentina, over into Ecuador, Peru, you know, they're just on the eastern side of the andes mountains but mm-hmm. massive massive ranges they they live different types of forests the tropical rainforest the savanna forest just you're always going to find them near water because of the semi aquatic lifestyle so whether it's rivers swamps ponds marshes you're going to find capybara there in south america i got i got to ask you before we get you know really into this how, did you see one when you were there did you see any I did not see any
1: cavybara, and that's more of a reason to get back there and make it happen, right? This is what I'm saying, one of my new favorite animals, at least for 2023 so far. And I I didn't see one throughout all my travels, and I spent plenty of time, and not in Colombia. I have to get back there with Mm. my buddy, Anna, for sure. But uh, I spent a lot of time in Venezuela, Brazil, Peru, Ecuador.
0: You saw river dolphins, though, right? If I remember right. I did, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, on
1: on the Amazon River. So, but. It's so we were, it, it's so massive that we weren't really mm-hmm. by any of the the banks, mm-hmm. and I and I feel like that's if you were gonna see them,
0: that's would they probably be. see, them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, it's definitely on the bucket list for sure. And Chris, I have to mention too, since I live in Florida, I have not seen a Florida capybara.
0: What at the zoo?
1: Yes, no, no. <laughs> Interesting. Leave they're, it up to Florida.
0: They are not in the Everglades, are they?
1: Actually, no, they're further north, at least the sightings are there, but it's all through central, south, central Florida from the Gainesville area that I am
0: in. Can you be back in Gainesville we had Capoeira? I didn't even know that. Paints Prairie right there? The
1: The last sighting in our area was in 2016. So, I mean, definitely while you were here, there were some being, I guess. That's insane. And all the information I collected was from the Florida Fish and Wildlife, and Mm -hmm. it's very fascinating and i definitely went down a deep rabbit hole of like clicking on every because they have the interactive map where it'll tell you the date and the time and if there's a photo oh. of it and some of them are roadkill some of them are just that's straight insane. up grazing and they think that they may have escaped from a wildlife park
0: and oh. so well you most, did talk about them as pets so that's another thing oh
1: well, i yeah i mean anyways it's uh they didn't really you know they didn't they didn't mention any names of. Of Who, where, uh, or anything? John. Thing, but... <laughs> well, he doesn't have that as zoo, so yeah, no, definitely wasn't Santa Fe College teaching <laughs> yeah, zoo. Yeah. So, but what's interesting is the most recent sightings in 2022 were further south, which makes okay. sense that they—it's cold up here for mm-hmm. a South American rodent, and our waterways get pretty cold too these springs. And so, from the interactive map, most of the recent capybara sightings were in like Tampa. Not sorry, uh, like St. Pete area. And then moving towards like the Naples, that kind of stuff, Orlando. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. I mean, even with all the gators and the predators there, that's, I mean, they have to deal with that too in South America, but.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so as far as, according to this is, like I said, Florida Mm -hmm. fish and wildlife, the population size trends and impact on native native species is unknown. Uh, They're not reported breeding in the wild and sightings are not common. So I think the list, these sightings date back to like 2000 and obviously mm-hmm. for 20 years. And there's probably 30 on there or 40. But
0: well, they don't think breeding is common, too, but obviously yeah.
1: they think the breeding population might exist.
0: Yeah. So, well, I, I could see, you know, that you confusing them for wild pigs too, because wild pigs are pretty something we have to talk about in a future podcast. You know, we cover like a wild boar.
1: Sure. Now that are, I've seen in Florida, yeah, and I, yeah. I, I've seen him as roadkill. I've seen him yeah. on the road at the far on the way to my, at the farm the where copy I ride. Bar,
0: yeah, but I've mean, I not se-
1: seen a. They, they copy don't belong bar, there,
0: Angie. They don't belong. No, there. No, uh, the, they, really,
1: they don't. And they really they don't. And I have like, I have to think uh, that they'd be not as damaging as a Burmese python. But gosh darn, Florida is well, just like
0: they can. I mean the the beavers that they introduced in South America are devastating to the local f- plants
1: mm-hmm. because
0: they do chew like crazy. The copy up. you know, why care about them? They're hugely important to the ecosystem in South America. They This is crazy to think about like because, you know, we think of grazing species. So in North America, uh, where you're at, you have deer and elk and go further north. You got moose. You have these massive herbivores. In South America, a lot of parts you don't. You just right. don't. And mm-hmm. so the copy bear is the largest herbivore. You're having an impact on the vegetation there. Mm-hmm. So they they have a very important role in their ecosystem. Obviously, they're a prey animal. To put them in Florida or parts of the United States, I mean, it's just another species competing against all the native species there. They don't belong there. <laughs> don't
1: they don't. Know. Florida, yeah. I I think the more the question we should ask, like what species don't live in Florida? I know <laughs> like, that's true
0: too. Yeah, that's true too.
1: Uh, it is. So yeah, that's an interesting fact I had heard a while ago, but yeah, I haven't seen one, and uh, it was really interesting to play around with the interactive map and potentially see that in like 2015 there was a sighting five miles from my house or something. Yeah, so, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't doubt it that they're they're there, but uh, all right. Well, this week I I just briefly because there's a lot to get into with behaviors and the fun stuff with the copy bearer, but I, I did want to highlight a little bit more in South America. Obviously we always talk a lot about the Amazon and we've talked a little bit about climate change. So I did run across this, this article uh, from earth.org and it was the five environmental issues in South America in 2023. So oh, in great. the start yeah. of this year, these are five things that we really need to watch for in South America and really highlight and make some, uh, changes in, in what's going on and obviously of of the five number ones deforestation right we talked about the the amazon even this last brazilian president i read not the one that just got elected thank god he did i don't think people realize i tell everybody you don't realize how big that was for the planet but even in his last six months of office the the one that just got kicked out deforestation went up like 150 percent like they accelerated knowing he was going to lose. So they went and did a lot of clear-cutting with that. But one that I wasn't sure about, and you probably drove through it or near it, was the Gran Chaco, which is the continent's second-largest forest in Argentina, Paraguay, and Bolivia. Because I know you said you went to Bolivia.
1: Yes, Uh, yes.
0: Mm -hmm. uh, And it's lost more than one-fifth of its forest size since 1985. So... Not only are we focused on the Amazon, we're also focused on this forest, because again, these large companies, these aren't small scale farmers, they're the ones that are suffering too for this. These large commercial farms are coming in, bulldozing the land for raising soy, beef cattle uh, and other things to support livestock. So that is a, a force. I really I, I haven't come across that really. maybe I've read it before, but the Grand Chaco is another one that's under a lot of pressure there now number two is erosion we talked about this in madagascar i have no idea which episode it was with the satellite images of all the soil erosion being washed out into the ocean they're seeing this in south america because when you remove forests these deep roots all these plants that hold the soil together Rainforest, it's going to rain. A lot of rain comes in, washes a lot of this land away where you lose all of those soil nutrients. So it's actually putting South America's food security at risk. So that's where they're saying, look, you can't keep doing this. You're going to lose all the soil. You're you're going to be starving. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing the desertification all around the planet with monoculture and some of these other things. So that's a big one. Glaciers melting. I know we've talked about this before in the Andes because the temperatures are are going up. We're seeing gla- glaciers retreat. We see it here in New Zealand,
1: right? You uh, you always think of glaciers in the Arctic, yeah, or no. the Antarctic, yeah, like way up, like way out of sight, yeah, up no. north or way out of mm-hmm. sight down south. Mm-mm. But yeah, I mean, think about that in the Andes, and I mean, South America is obviously a huge yeah. continent, yeah, but. That
0: mountain range and yeah, Have yeah, you seen the photos? Like the, the mm-hmm. glaciers twenty years ago were at the front of the valley. Now they're way in the back of a valley. You know they've lost all of that ice mass. They retreated. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Greenland. We're seeing that in Greenland. Uh, like I said, here in New Zealand uh, in the South Island, our glaciers are retreating. So around the world, we're seeing this. So that's a big one there for them. Water pollution, water scarcity. think we just talked about this recently in south america so polluting their waterways mining you know a lot of uh, gold mining putting mercury in the water all of that illegal a lot of illegal stuff going on uh, is a big problem and then sea level rise again with climate change it's going to impact the coastlines of south america so good news is it's it's highlighted scientists are talking about it they're pushing for reform Again, this election in Brazil was massive for for all of us, so we're going to see some green policies being implemented. They're going to slow down the rainforest bulldozing that's going on, and hopefully other countries follow suit. So that's what's going on down there. I mean, that, and a lot of this is probably around the world. We're seeing a lot of these same trends.
1: Chris, I think that's a really important list and we'll go ahead and post it on our show notes too, Mm -hmm. if our listeners want to take another glance or share it with some of their friends, because it is, it's it's things we need to, that we should have been thinking about already, but we Mm -hmm. need to continue to think about as we move forward in this new year and and in the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, for sure. It was the Five Environmental Issues in South America in 2023, published by earth.org. And it was written by Keegan Carvalho. Hopefully I said your last name right. It was just published in January, 2023. So, yeah, please read that. Now, we're moving along. We're making, we're making good progress so we can get to the fun stuff with behavior. But I think evolution's fun. So, bear yes, with me. Yes.
1: No, rodent evolution <laughs> it is great. I'm fun. putting my seatbelt on. Yeah, it's awesome. it's fun. You sent me some photos earlier oh, this Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I did. I found <laughs> something that's going to be fun to talk about here in a minute. So, capybara, there are mammals, right? Of over 5,500 5, species. Plenty to work with. The order is rodentia, so 2,277, I'm sure that list is bigger now, uh, species of rodents. About 42% of all mammal species are rodents, and we have not covered a while. We've got our
1: work cut out for us, Chris.
0: Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. Now, this is probably a lot of people's favorite families, and they don't realize it, and that's the caveat day. And these are rodents native to South America. And the reason I say that is because you said you worked with them. In that family is the cavies or also what's known as... Do you know? Do you know?
1: Ooh, I do.
0: Little ones? Guinea pigs. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, guinea pigs are related to capybaras. That's yeah. hey, so amazing. I have mean, a... I have a good friend here, Nick. He's got like twenty of them. He, it's just uh yeah. Uh, I worked with
1: five at the at the children's yeah. zoo, so they were educational, and mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm, I loved them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were great.
0: Yeah, so they're you know, the subfamily's KVs. So guinea pigs are part of that. So within the the Cavia subfamily of guinea pigs, there is thirteen species. Then there's a f- a subfamily of two species of Dolichininae and Patagonia and Chacoan Mara's. That's a new one for me. So a new rodent species. And then the subfamily Hydrochorus. And this is where we find our two species of capybara. And then also two species of rock cavey. So,
1: Well, Chris, I usually don't do too much with evolution. Mm-hmm. But I somehow found myself on a caviomorpha page. And that's the, <laughs> the, the power of order of uh, the capybara.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And this family includes chinchilla rats, hutias never heard of, mm-hmm. guinea pigs, love them, capybara, this is going to be an awesome podcast today, yeah. chinchillas we covered many moons ago, mm-hmm. and that was a super fun podcast. I highly recommend listening to it. They are actually endangered, even though I know they're used as pets and stuff, but the actual wild populations is, is in serious trouble in Patagonia. Okay. vizcacha. Never heard of that's like their rabbit.
0: Yep, yep, movie. yeah, no, yeah, we've talked about them. Yeah, yeah, we got to cover, cover them. them. Yep,
1: a tuco tucos, mm-hmm. never heard of them, need to cover them. Agoutis, I've heard of, would mm-hmm. love to cover. Pacas, darling, never heard of them, need to cover them. This one, Chris, Pacaranus. Oh, I've not
0: heard of that one. No.
1: It has the face of a capybara, but the body in a tail. Like, it kind of reminds me of a, a quoll that we covered okay, last week. yeah, yeah, okay. It has okay. white polka dots on it, mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. quoll. S- okay, so there's that. Spiny rat, and then new world por- porcupines. So we've covered porcupines before. Mm-hmm. The goipu, and octodonts.
0: That's a ton of them. There's so many species. So,
1: but I just learned, like, about 10 new species, yeah, I mean, and Just I don't know, know anything about yeah. any of the. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, so fun and so unique. Yeah, rodents. I think we might need to turn this into a rodent podcast strictly, <laughs> like, at oh, least we for a
0: little bird. while. Yeah, and then we go to birds. Then we're like, oh, <laughs> we got to cover all the birds. Then we go to I fish, know. and then we're absolutely always blown away. My
1: mind's blown. Sure, then, but that's yeah. why this podcast is fun. I mean, because yeah. I obviously you and I do know a lot about animals. We got mm-hmm. masters and PhDs studying animals, and. Yeah. But boy, there's sure, I sometimes feel like there's, but boy, but, it sure is fun to stay curious and to learn about these creatures mm-hmm, I'd never heard mm-hmm. of, or they don't get as much attention as some mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. the more popular ones. And mm-hmm. so, yes, it's going to be my life mission to make sure that everybody knows about Tuco uh, Tuco, yes. Apacas, Apacaranas, <laughs> yeah. Koipu, and an Octonauts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's some cool ones. There are some really cool ones. and. Octodonts,
1: octodonts. I don't, yeah. I'm not even saying these right because I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so fun.
0: Yeah. The Patagonia cavy. Do yourself a favor and look that up on Google too. Beautiful looking animal. Looks fun to, to cover. We will cover some of these uh, in the future. So, of the two species, you have the copybara, the lesser copybera. Copybera is Hydrochorius hydrocharis. And then the other one is Hydrochorius isthmus, is the lesser copybera. Now, like I said, the lesser copybara they thought was a subspecies in the early 1900s, but genetics now says, no, they're pretty different. So they definitely are a, a two species, even though little debate in science as always. Rodent evolution goes way back early, early mammals. Earliest mammals looked like small mice. I mean, you're talking 195 million years ago. Hydrocodium woo uh, was one of the very first ones that we found fossils of. Uh, but rodents themselves did not really evolve as a family or an order until about 80 million years ago. And kind of like with the lagomorphs were emerging, that's when rodents were emerging. And obviously being small, they can hide. There was some, I think that's the reason we have so many species of them, because they were able to survive not only the mass extinction that killed off the dinosaurs, but just predation by dinosaurs and and other ma- larger mammals. So I think that's why they were they were able to evolve these strategies to survive and, and have done very very well because we find them all over the world. But they started evolving. Do, would you even know of all the continents? You always think North America, but I no. do
1: always think North America. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like no, you're giving me the uh, the. Uh... <laughs> uh so Let me, here we
0: go here we go uh, for for people that have listened to this podcast for a long time i'm going to quiz you too raft vegetation is your hint so when i say raft vegetation there was a podcast we talked about how th- these animals got to a certain continent
1: mm-hmm. or africa to,
0: yeah so they evolved in africa ding,
1: ding, 80, ding, mil- ding, 80 ding, million, ding. million
0: years ago good because it was that we were talking about when the primates and they thought that they came over on vegetation rafts, probably when the Atlantic Ocean wasn't so spread apart from it from itself. Sure, you know that there was there was an ability to travel across the sea on a vegetation raft and then land on this new continent of South America. Very similar. That's when the copy capybaras' ancestors arrived in South America about forty million years ago. So that's when when we first find them now the copybara when they get there or the earliest, earliest ancestors of rodents get there of these cavies, there's no predators. So it's like Madagascar. We go back when I talk about the <laughs> levers coming across on a raft of vegetation from Africa to Madagascar, they get there, they have this big party If anybody that's watched the movie Madagascar. And so I imagine all the lemurs having a big party and then the fossa came, you know, and then the party's over. So, these rodents get to South America and there was no predators. So this allowed them to get very big. So mm-hmm. they grew and grew. Then what was interesting is is the DNA is revealing a lot about capybaras and how they were able to get so big. So th- they found that they have a very, and this is getting a little dorky, but. but Oh, bring it, Chris. Chris, there, there is a reason I'm bringing this up. Okay, and so this this largeness of the copy bear has an interesting story behind it as far as how it affects like human medicine. So here's a reason to why care about these animals again. In larger animals, we have a lot more cells, right? So you think of an elephant, massive, way more cells than I have in my body, right? And I'm a big guy. I'm I'm six foot five to thirty. 235 pounds. So I'm, I'm bigger than a copy but big, right? Larger animals, we would think, have a more likely chance of developing cancer with that many more cells. And that many more
1: cells dividing.
0: Right, right. right. So you would think elephants would, would be able to have more likely to develop cancer. And we find that they don't. And it's right. actually a, a paradox. It's called pedos paradox. That large animals have an ability to fight off cancer. And it was, it was exciting to run across this with a Before copy Before it bear. even
1: starts. Yes. Yeah. And, they and don't get it. Like I got, elephants don't get cancer. It's crazy.
0: No. And I got super dorky and excited. And I sent this to Angie. And I was like, oh, my God, you got to read this. Because the researcher I was working with in Florida when we were doing our elephant s- studies was one of the ones to help discover this. That in elephants, they actually have cancer-fighting ability in their cells and in their blood. So they were able to detect a certain protein or something like that.
1: Yeah, the way I read about it is that in Asian and African elephants, they are better at spell-checking their DNA for Mm -hmm. errors when they divide. Yeah, yeah. So because they're better at spell-checking, that reduces the number of mutations, Mm -hmm. cancer-causing mutations from them. And then the other cool example of this pedos paradox and large animals that don't get cancer, an even bigger animal that we covered yeah. a very long time ago, mm-hmm. the bowhead whales, mm-hmm. similarly don't get cancer. And they have evolved a different mechanism to basically keep the DNA checked and not mm-hmm. let it get all filled with mutations. So. yeah. yeah. So what's this capybara yeah. doing?
0: So, well, it, not to get into the dorky science, it's, it has lots to do with insulin and they have a different form of insulin that helps control blood sugar. But basically the DNA of a copy bear, uh, their genome, their immune system is able to detect cells that might become cancerous and destroy them before they become cancer, you know, and run out of control.
1: Right. But that's incredible because... Cancer immunotherapy is an incredible breakthrough that's happening mm-hmm. with several different cancers where researchers are basically using immunotherapy treatments to fight cancer and really seeing some great results with that. And the capybara is just hanging out doing it. It's, exactly. just, it's just chilling by the river. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like, I, like it, oh. science. The, i know it's is is just incredible it's, it just, is. it's just incredible and it what we is. can learn from it exactly and obviously besides them being super cute and all that but yeah just i mean there might be some really awesome secrets that they'll unlock that can help it's, us and i know I, I mean at my age i mean i've lost loved ones to cancer Me too. and Me too. it runs yeah. in my family and yeah. i mean almost everybody's been touched by it some way shape and form yeah. in their life yeah. and not capybaras,
0: <laughs> no, no, or elephants just, or bowhead whales, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it's just another reason that you know we we do this not all these podcasts, and that's that's the selfish view, the human selfish view is save these species because we can learn things from them and we can be better ourselves and and help fight some of these diseases. But yeah, I thought it was fascinating. I want to keep going. I I have this amazing, amazing. I kind of laugh when I even see this picture of this creature I'm going to talk about here in a minute, but I think we need to take a quick break before I do. So stay tuned. Welcome back. I sent pictures of this to Angie when I found it because I, I I'm sure we did not cover this before, but the largest rodent ever, and it it is a mass. I'll just say it's a massive, massive copybara. You see the pictures, and you're like, oh, my God, the stuff of nightmares.
1: <laughs> well, because of the time change between Florida yeah. and New Zealand, yeah. I usually get your, it's like 1130, and I should be sleeping. Yeah. And I'm like looking at my phone. I'm like, oh, good gosh. Okay. <laughs>
0: this, is, this is called the Joseph Artigazia Menensi. It is, they found a skull in Uruguay. Uh, so it's about 4 million years old. And the skull was about two feet, about the size of a beef cow. So the estimates of the body length of this giant barrow was close to, to eight and a half, nine feet. And they estimated it weighed about a thousand pounds. So you could imagine this cow size, large rodent that had a bite force of over 5000 newtons which is like the largest bite force of any rodent ever. That's crazy. Of our large crocodiles don't even have a bite force of that. So if you can imagine this thing running around about 4 million years ago, this giant, massive copybara the size of a cow, there you go. Factoid of the week. Gotta love them. Gotta love rodents. Now, just some fun facts about copybara. I mean... They can live up to, what, 10, 12 years under human care.
1: Sure. And for a rodent, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. 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 It's really good. In the wild, six, seven, eight years maybe. You know, it's it's a hard life out there in South America. You've got- Well, and
1: part of their, their niche, their ecosystem role is being prey for several yeah. larger species. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Jaguars, pumas, anacondas, we just covered them, ocelots, caimans- and then even humans. So sure. yeah, it's a little, little tough life out there, but, and I've seen it, I planet earth or one of the, the David Attenborough voiceover, and there's been so many lately and I love them. I love them and, and love that he's still with us. Knock on wood. There was a scene of a Jaguar hunting copy and they, they, the, the noises they make, the barks, the alarm calls. They see him and they're in the water so fast. Like they run up to 20, 25 miles an hour, something like that. to 35 mm-hmm. kilometers per hour. Almost as fast as not, not a quarter horse, but you know, horses running really Romeo. fast. Yeah. Romeo, your horse. <laughs> but they are, they are super quick, straight into the water and the jag gave up. And I think that's the one where the jag goes and gets a caiman. He's like, all right, okay. this is easy. Oh, wow.
1: Yikes. Right. <laughs> Jeez. Imagine that. <laughs>
0: But they are crazy good swimmers, right? They're like amazing.
1: Yeah, they're semi-aquatic. I mean, mm. capybaras are built to swim. They have those partially webbed feet, so there's four toes on each front foot and then three on the back. And so I watched a video of them swimming, mm. and Chris underwater, they almost they like walk through the water, walk, run, and it reminded me so much of how hippos move under mm-hmm. the water. Mm-hmm. Very, very similar and just just made for the water. And if you look, of course, at their face close up, you can really start to see the adaptations. Their facial features that, once again, remind me of a hippo because their eyes and their ears and their nostril are all found near the top of their head. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. when the capybara is in the water, it just lifts out those parts from the water and it can see and it can hear and it can smell, and it can Mm -hmm. take a breath, and then it can go back under the water and Mm -hmm. stay hidden. And so just a really brilliant way to to get away from predators. And we'll talk too about how they do a lot of their foraging actually in some of these semi-aquatic plants as well. Well, Chris, what also blew me away about capybaras and their semi-aquatic adaptations is that they can stay underwater for up to five minutes
0: and That's for a rodent that's nice. five minutes
1: yeah. so that yeah that jaguar does not have a chance if they go in the water mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like okay i'll do the caiman
0: yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so just easier.
1: really really built for the semi-aquatic lifestyle and the, you know the fact that they went i maybe they came from the water I, they most likely probably went into the water was mm. a, a pretty sweet move on their part evolutionarily speaking
0: yeah and and, and probably why they're Still here, right? The, mm-hmm. uh, because they are so big, and mm-hmm. they're not like little rodents that can hide and evade, get under oh, no. dens or anything like that. Yeah. No, these are these are big rodents out on the banks of rivers and ponds and marshes and stuff. So very visible to any type of predator. Mm-hmm. But they've been successful. And then I found the. This it, it brought me back to the beaver podcast because we, we did cover that. This is very common among rodents is their teeth just constantly, constantly grow.
1: Yeah. And they're sharp, right? Mm-hmm. They're long and sharp, which of course is important for the capybara. We'll talk about nutrition for grazing Yep. and what they have to do. But yeah, I, I always, I always picture the yellow or orange beaver teeth. I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't find anything about the capybaras being so yellow or orange.
0: I think, wasn't it? They were high in I think zinc. it was iron. Iron, iron. That's it. Not mm-hmm. iron. Zinc. It Yeah, one of the minerals. (laughs) It was here. in in beavers. (laughs) Close, close. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and they have to constantly gnaw to keep Mm -hmm. those teeth down. So, capybaras will chew on bark of trees. Sometimes some aquatic plants help trim them down. Tough grass or things like that. Or stones. Sometimes they, they can chew stones. So, teeth are incredibly, incredibly sharp and incredibly strong. Now... Like I said in why care, copy are our grazers. So they do feed on a lot of grasses and Oh, and when you're yeah.
1: when you're that big, you're mm-hmm. eating a lot of grasses, water plants, grasses per day. Mm-hmm. hmm On average, eight pounds.
0: That's a lot. That's <laughs> like what I feed my horse. and
1: I don't
0: need that much per day. I mean, gee. Well, and here's something I found interesting about their eating behavior. Which I'm sure you would love to talk about, but copro, uh, can I say it? Coprophagy. Poop eating.
1: (laughs) They eat poop. There's a million different ways to say it. Some some say copography, coprophagy. (laughs) I think, there you go. I I think coprophagy is the best. I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. So they do eat their their dung because.
1: Yes. mm. But I mean, but it makes sense for them because they do their their feces does have a lot of undigested uh, nutrients in it. And Fiber, so yeah. if they re-ingest it, that's going to, they're going to get a second, a second shot at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chris, the other fun nutrition fact I found about copybaras is that even though they're rodents and they're not related to ruminants, some of my favorites, they actually regurgitate their food and, to chew it some more.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're cut. And
1: mm-hmm. that's funny. And they chew their food side to side, uh, similar to like a camel rather an or a cow rather than up and down like we do. So when you're eating all these tough semi aquatic plants or aquatic plants, I should say, that material, it helps for it to once again get more chances to be broken down into smaller pieces. Because without going too much into the details, just if you're a visual person, the receptors for glucose and amino acids and other mm. nutrients that are actually absorbed into an animal's system. They, yeah, the smaller they, the smaller the plant material, or the fiber or whatever mm. they're eating is, the more the more likely they are able to break it down into absorbable nutrients. Right. And I try to remind myself of that when I I, I tend to eat really fast. Yeah, me too. And sometimes I'll re- think, did I even like chew that food? <laughs>
0: Well <laughs> you're a busy yeah. mom. I mean you got three. I babies. mean, babies. that is yeah. true. So
1: yeah. but yeah, I I need to slow down. And one of the reasons to slow down is it makes you feel fuller. But mm-hmm. then also the more you grind your food, the smaller the particles get. And then mm-hmm. when it does get in for us humans, when it gets into your small intestines, where you actually absorb a lot of the individual sugars, amino acids, mm-hmm. the fats, it's like if you think about surface area. That there's actually more parts for that in your body's ability to use enzymes can break those larger chains of carbohydrates or mm-hmm. proteins or whatever they are down into smaller individual nutrients. And so yeah. these capybaras got it figured out and they yeah, yeah they, they regurgitate it uh, before it goes all the way down in their system. And then when they poop it out, they re-eat it. So... <laughs> so they make sure they get every love. And then, well, and but look bit. at their body conditions. Like they yeah. have this. They all have like I have not seen a picture of a thin scapivera.
0: capybara. Yeah, no, no, no. I
1: I hope I never do because it'd make me cry. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. uh because their round barrel bellies and bodies are what is a big, a big high point of their cuteness. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh yeah, they they got a lot of things going on for them.
0: Well, the behavior, like we we opened up with the, you know the. The, the chirps and the barks and they mm-hmm. are very vocal, but there's some fun stuff. I mean, just the social, large oh. family groups, like large, large groups.
1: I mean, capybaras are super gregarious and all that means is social. And so they live in very stable social groups that will have both male and female capybaras. And a typical group might look something like this, where there's going to be seven females, a lot of little ones, and then three adult males. However, depending on where they live and the seasonality in South America, if it's like the dry season, they can congregate, and you might see anywhere from 50 to 100 individuals. Mm -hmm. But normally the number suggests between 10 and 30. And within this strict social group of capybaras, the ones, let's just say there's like 10 or 30, There's going to be a lot of social hierarchy around the males and there's typically one top ranking male that is going to have a lot more access to females when it comes to breeding season. And so he's the top water pig or South American hippo or the the capybara has lots of different names. The male is the top male. It will be kind of large and in charge. But in general, the group of capybaras is very social, but they will have and defend a defended territory. And the territory is, of course, going to include wallowing sites and feeding sites. And the dominant male of that group is going to defend it by lots of vocalizations, which we'll talk about here in a second, or some of the ones we opened with, and, and chasing, chasing the other males away. and But very rarely... Fights. The capybara Mm -hmm. is very peaceful, (laughs) typically, and not easily agitated. And the other thing that I found super fascinating about capybara social groups is they're stable, but they're also long lasting. Mm -hmm. So some of these relationships in these groups uh, have been known to last for over three years, which is pretty, I mean, especially for a rodent, right? We're not talking about a wolf pack right? Or a group of gorillas. I mean, this, these are rodents that have these really incredible social interactions and that work together and live together and defend their territory together, feed together. And I don't want to necessarily say that's related, but there of course are a ton of capybara videos on YouTube and I may have watched all of them.
0: You <laughs> <laughs> would? No,
1: I didn't. But there's this whole, this whole video series of basically capybaras being referred to as nature's ottoman or living chairs because other animals have recognized that mm-hmm. sitting on a capybara's fuzzy brown back and chunky, mind you, mm-hmm. that barrel-shaped body is where, where they want to be. So there's photos with Birds, monkeys, rabbits, baby capybaras—I <laughs> uh, just, just literally lounging on these nature's ottomans or these living chairs of capybaras, and the capybaras just chilling on the side of the bank, just loving their life. They don't have cancer. They can swim if they want to. They're super cute. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of friends, right? Uh, studies have shown the more social you are, it helps all these health benefits and uh, uh, lead a happy and fulfilled life. The capybara has a lot figured out, and mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. why, like I said, I need to know one sometime in my lifetime, and I'm hoping that that will happen for me.
0: <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I think it's fascinating that they are in these big groups, and poor you didn't get to see them, like the the leopard you'll never see in Africa. Maybe well, and
1: I will <laughs> and I will say to add to their behavior, they're they're more crepuscular, which is mm-hmm. just a fancy word for they're typically act, most active at dusk and dawn. And that's not when I was on Amazon the doing yeah, anything. I know, yeah, I know. So. I'm
0: just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. You can't see them all, but
1: you know. Yes, you can, Chris. <laughs> it's a life goals. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: but you know, I, I've just found it fascinating that they they are very vocal, and you know, they're it tends to be prey animals or animals that are preyed upon tend tend to be quiet. You know, not very vocal, but these ones are are, are vocal. They communicate Ouch. quite often. Yeah.
1: Oh, incredibly vocal rodents, creatures in general. They use those chirps and whistles that we opened within the podcast mm-hmm. and then barks. They do purrs, huffs. And a lot of it, They researchers think it's to help keep track of one another. Mm-hmm. And then of course, that bark is a first line of defense, a warning, uh, whether it's a prey animal or danger somewhere, or they feel threatened. And if one barks, Typically, the whole group will start barking too until the danger is gone. Very, very vocal rodent. And honestly, researchers haven't really looked into it too much about the purpose of some of the other chirps and whistles and some called it singing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's not technically singing like a Mm -hmm. bird. But I mean, there might be, maybe there's other stuff going on that we haven't even looked into about how, I mean, how they communicate or why they communicate. I know with squirrels, they're still showing some fascinating research about different vocalizations and body languages to help tell other squirrels if it's a hawk or if it's uh, something coming from the sky or something coming from the land. I mean, Mm -hmm. really advanced concepts, I think, when we actually dive into some some of these uh, social animals and their vocalizations. So Mm -hmm, stay mm -hmm. tuned as hopefully research will explore more of this. Besides vocalizations, the capybara really utilizes its sense of smell as a way to communicate several different things. And so capybaras are famous for two types of scent glands. They have what's called a morillo and that's located on their snout. And -hmm. I'm going to talk a lot about that when we get into breeding behavior and courtship about the males, both females and males have them. And they also have anal glands, which that's we're pretty used to that. But this, this, Scent gland located on their snout is is just really important. And if you look at photos of male capybaras, you can see this lump on the top of their snout. And like I said, females have it as well, but in males, especially dominant males, it's much more pronounced and it secretes a white liquid. And it's thought that this liquid of course, smells and it may act as like a chemical fingerprint about the status of the individual male. Like, is he number Mm -hmm. one? Is he number two? Number three? Is How old he is? Just really important things if you're a capybara female and you're thinking about who you're going to breed with. And so what the male capybara will do is rub on different plants, trees, shrubs, wherever, To smear this white liquid over different plant surfaces, that this is his area and this is his status, communicated to females as well. And so, really fascinating. And I I did dork out about this because...
0: (laughs) You're so into smell stuff. I know.
1: Well, I just thought it was so fascinating that the dominant male has a more pronounced... Moria and I couldn't mm-hmm. find anything physio- physiologically, like any papers on it. It probably has something to do with testosterone, right? The more dominant capybara is going to have more testosterone, maybe be bigger. But the fact that he his Moria gland is more pronounced, so the nose looks mm-hmm. like has a bigger bump on it than the than the subordinate males is just really fascinating to me. And some other fun facts about capybaras and their breeding in general. Of course, besides their big stinky nose. Another reason why they're probably not a good pet, right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yikes. But mm-hmm. capybaras in general are polygonous and they're also promiscuous. And so they can breed throughout the year depending on which region of South America they live in. But there's definitely going to be a higher breeding activity at the beginning of the rains. So during the rainy season, which makes sense because the grasses are coming in and there's mm-hmm. more food. For the females that'll be nursing their pups. And so during this breeding season, remember there's several males in the capybara family group, but the dominant one is typically the one that breeds as many females as he wants. And so it was always thought that the male breeds all the females, and that's just how it is. So this cool paper I found in the journal of Mammalogy for 2020. As t- entitled Potential Female Mate Choice in Male-Dominated Systems, the Female Capybara. And what researchers did is they conducted behavioral data collections in uh, the savannas of Venezuela. And it was a huge, like 50,000 uh, hectare cattle ranch that floods and all these capybaras come in. And they focused on three different capybara groups that were around this ranch in different areas. And they were focused on their breeding behaviors from these three different groups. And what they found was super fascinating in that subordinate males, so the ones that were not dominant, would engage in much longer courtship rituals than top ranking or the dominant males. And I should back up to also explain that the courtship behavior for the capybara is really complex for rodents. And in that, what typically happens is when it is breeding season and the hormones are running high, a male will typically follow a female capybara pretty closely, usually keeping his nose, his snout, touching her, that darling little nose. I just want to boop. He'll keep it just <laughs> right up, right up, yep, yep. right up next to her rump. <laughs> He's in. He tries in. So he'll follow her. And he'll follow her for a long time, and they'll just meander around. And if the female decides she likes the male, she'll enter a body of water, and the male will continue this following her process, which may last minutes and may be interrupted by other males in the meantime that are trying to stop the copulation. But if the male is successful, the capybaras actually copulate in water.
0: Okay. That's yeah. Interesting.
1: Yep. Yeah. And so, what's what interesting
0: know? for a for a land mammal? Yeah, but they're semi aquatic. So, yeah. To,
1: yeah, it yeah. is. So, Chris. Yeah, that got me thinking. If I mean, they're a lot like hippos in other ways. Do you remember if hippos breed on land or in the water?
0: What? They're big. They're much that's, bigger. That's like two hundred episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I bet. Hey, here, here's a species I know for sure mates in the water: orcas. They don't okay. come out of Ding,
1: hands. ding, ding, ding. Good job. Good job. Or because make. And well, I would think hint...
0: sea turtles because they're out Okay. Of sea. Very, very
1: good. The hint is they're very similar to capybaras. Yeah,
0: if capybaras do, I would assume hippos would too. There you go. Yeah.
1: So hippos typically breed okay. in the water That's as crazy. well, which okay. makes sense because they're a little yeah. more buoyant, you know, that yeah, probably yeah, helps yeah. things out. Yeah. But if the female is being courted by a, a subordinate or non dominant male capybara, it can be successful, however, researchers found that uh, up to forty percent of the time they would be interrupted by the top ranking male or another really high ranking male and so the lower the lower ranked males it's it's very hard for them to do this complex long courtship behavior mm-hmm. and not get basically interrupted. this paper I mentioned takes it another step further and after really studying them for many hours and for many months and for a long time in several different family groups. What they found was, like I mentioned, these subordinate males and non-dominant males would engage in much longer courtships than top ranking males. So it's like they were trying harder because they needed to potentially impress the female and so that she would like agree to breed with them. Mm -hmm. And so – Basically, researchers took this and some other data that they found with courtship as far as how many attempts there were, if the copulation was successful, and some other data, and they basically surmised that they think the female has a lot more mate choice going on, even though there's it's this male-dominated system
0: right, right. of hierarchy. She's the one, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, yep. That she can still, yeah, she still has a lot of say in... Yeah, technically it should be the dominant male that breeds her because that's the story that we've always been told. But it's a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot more of this like either Bachelorette or mm. uh, what's another reality show right now? Uh, the Bachelor well,
0: or whatever. Yeah. The,
1: or like Love is Blind or I don't know, any of those um, housewives of LA or something. Yeah, yeah. but, <laughs> but yeah, but but there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. And when the researchers really sat down and studied it, They found out that these subordinate males, yeah, they have these longer courtships and they're trying harder. They're not necessarily more successful, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's all up to the female.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. She has a say.
1: mm, She definitely has a say in the capybara world. And she also has, for the record, she does have that same snout, scent gland. It's just not as prominent as a dominant male or, or males in general. But when she does get bred... Her gestation period is 150 days, which for a rodent, that's a fair amount of time. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, a long time. Uh, mm -hmm.
1: And a capybara, her litter is going to range from anywhere from two to eight pups. And the young are born ready to stand and walk shortly after birth. They'll start grazing within a week. Mm -hmm. So pretty good. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's quick. Yeah. And after about three months, a capybara will be weaned. But I think it's really awesome to mention that young capybaras, even though they're weaned, they will stay within their parents' group till they're a year old. Mm-hmm. So very different from other species of rodents yeah. in that they are long, with yeah. them. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. And then what's also fascinating is they wean, or they nurse until they're three months old, but they'll also suckle from other, other capybaras that aren't their mom, other females in the group. They're mm-hmm. typically going to be closely re- related, but it doesn't have to be their mom. So there's a lot of parental cooperation in there, which once again for a rodent is just really, really fascinating, like how socially adapted they are and yeah. and how this system works so well for them, you know, safety in numbers and safety. In, I mean, goodness gracious, I wish I had a couple other moms living in my house with me that I could...
0: Yeah, hand off my little kiss. Go ahead, take care sure. Of them. I don't yeah.
1: even care, nurse off them. Yep. Whatever, <laughs> like help, help, help a lady out. Jeez, I'm I'm over here trying to get my uh, PhD. and you, know, yep, so, yep, you were. Um, but yeah, really, really fascinating. And by anything about paternal care capybaras. So, if any of our listeners out there are experts in capybaras or have worked with them, uh, if the dad plays a role, let me know. I mean, he definitely plays a role in keeping the group safe by by helping worn for predators and all of that, but I don't. I don't know if he necessarily actually helps. I mean, take care of the uh, of the baby capybaras, mm-hmm. and the babies do stay with the family until they're a year old because, I mean, as Chris mentioned, an adult capybara can be a prey item for really large predators in South America, but baby capybaras are on the yeah. menu for. A lot, Several. yeah. Mm-hmm. A so lot it's more. it's it, it, yeah. yeah, it's tough to be a baby capybara, and yeah. I think that that's probably why they evolved this family group that helps keep a close eye on them and keep them near. And of course, this communication system that we're still learning a lot more about with the capybaras. And then what's also fascinating too, when you think about rodent reproduction, I mean, my goodness, like a, a mouse can start breeding. I think when they're like four or five months old. I think
0: yeah. is that right? Yeah. I don't know. It's quick though. It's fast. They have a it's very quick, quick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so for...
1: with mm-hmm, with capybaras, they don't reach sexual maturity until they're about eighteen months old. So like a year and a half. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. much much longer time, a much longer investment into their offspring. So their generation interval for a rodent is is pretty slow.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for a rodent, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are the largest rodent on earth, so they are the kings mm-hmm. and queens. Uh, the good thing, the good news is, is, is as far as conservation goes, they're doing well. The general copybara, the lesser copybara, we don't have any data on. So the fact that you can't find them in Venezuela, they are in Colombia and parts of Panama, meaning they they could be endangered. We just don't know yet. And then there are certain regions where copybaras are threatened because they're of human exploitation, obviously you know, bulldozing the, the rainforest or these other forests isn't helping them. So, you know, overall they're doing well throughout the range, but again, some concerns there. So we will keep our eyes to that, to the species. Now the organization, we went with the Tropical Forest Alliance and you can find them at tropicalforestalliance.org. And basically what they are, again, the forest, the Amazon, The Grand Chaco, all of these are so important to the peoples of South America. The indigenous peoples of South America, I remember reading that on the El Chaco, they're threatened with that forest being cut down. So the Tropical Forest Alliance is working with uh, multiple NGOs. They are working with the World Economic Forum. They have companies, governments, indigenous tribes, local communities, other organizations working together to promote forest-positive collective action to protect these forests from being bulldozed for soybean crops or beef cattle grazing. They are working very hard to protect these native habitats of South America, so they are Actually working throughout the world, but really specifically want to focus on South America, uh, doing a lot of great stuff. So please check them out, the Tropical Forest Alliance. And I just want to say, you know, like almost every species we cover, there's somebody out there fighting to protect their habitat. They're protecting these animals. They're spreading the message like Angie and I are through education. So feel positive i know the news is never good and it, whenever it comes to animal conservation endangered species climate change all of these complex issues realize there it's not just us and you the listener there are millions of people billions of people around the earth right now fighting hard to to save our planet and our ecosystems so so take heart and and you know realize there there is a lot of good work going on around us
1: Absolutely. And 2023 is a new year. We all have something we can add. It can be as simple as sharing some of this information. It could be getting involved locally in your community, getting in your own backyard. Maybe you make a bad house. Maybe you plant some uh, native plants for pollinators. Maybe you start recycling if you're not already doing that. Looking at your carbon footprint. I mean, there's a lot. We don't all have to travel to South America to Mm -hmm. take awesome data on capybaras, which I want to do that. I want I want to be that person <laughs> yes, and those yes. researchers that did yeah. that study, but I'm not, and that's okay. Like, there's still other things. We all have different talents. Maybe you're an artist and you can get involved that way, volunteering some of your time, or if you're good with digital elements. That's my hope for 2023, that everybody just does one little thing that's, that's doable and manageable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then to help collectively better the planet, save these species, uh, help the environment, and so on.
0: Yep, yep. Well, stay tuned for next week. I know where we're going and I know what we're covering. So I'm very excited to start my research uh, here tomorrow. But I will start uh, watching those YouTube videos, looking up those scientific papers. So stay tuned for that. Take care.
1: Thank you, everyone, for listening, caring, and sharing. We really appreciate it.
0: Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.